Euro 2020 on the Soccer Gambling Podcast is presented by WinBet. Get started today and you'll get a free risk-free bet up to $500. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at wynnbet.com and download the app today. We're also brought to you by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Use the promo code SGP for your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. That's PropSwap.com and the promo code SGP. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Sign up at underdogfantasy.com with the promo code SGPN and receive a free $25 entry to use in Best Ball Mania 2 for a chance to win $1 million. And of course, don't forget to download the SGPN app in the App Store or the Google Play Store today. Listening to your Euro 2020 semi final preview and your Copper America semi final preview here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast on Twitter at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. You can follow the Sports Gambling Podcast Network at the SGP Network. That's at the SGP Network. Also check out my website, lockbetting.com. We are very early into the month. We still have the NBA playoffs. We are still engrossed in the MLB season. We still have the Wimbledon quarterfinals, semifinals and the final. We still have the semifinals of the Euros, the semifinals of the Copa America and the finals at the weekend. And of course, the Olympics at the end of the month. We have a UFC card at the weekend as Conor McGregor has his third installment against uh, Dustin Poirier. And we have Wilder and Fury at the end of the month. And of course, the Olympics coming up as well. So big, big month here at LockBetting.com with the futures for the EPL coming at the end of the month and the other European leagues. We will be returning with our EPL previews at the end of the month. So we are not far away from the season starting. We are just five weeks away from football returning after Euro 2020 concludes. So it's not going to be a long turnaround. In fact, it was five weeks with the weekend just gone. It's going to return even sooner than that. By the time the final ball is kicked at the Euros, there's only going to be a month left until soccer or football resumes. So not a lot of time at all to rest up. Just still worth signing up for July, as July should be our 98th month in a row of transparent track profit coming off the 97th month. For those guys that look out for my PL sheet, we've done something unique this month. What we've decided to do 
is we've decided to let Euro 2020 conclude because of some of the futures we took. They uh, they were top goal scorer futures, teams to reach certain stages of the competition, uh, an overall winner, for example. So because of some of the futures we took early on and, they, and the fact they haven't concluded, what we've decided to do is make the spreadsheet a little bit late, allow the futures to conclude rather than transferring them over to a July spreadsheet. So the June spreadsheet isn't out. As soon as all the futures have concluded that don't involve separate picks on the finals or the semi-finals, then that spreadsheet will become available. So at the very latest, the June spreadsheet will be out at the weekend. We've done something similar as well for Wimbledon, whereas the plays were posted in June with the futures, uh, such as Djokovic to win the tournament. All of the July, all of the June futures for Wimbledon will be posted in July. So even if they've concluded in June, and some of them have, unfortunately, with uh, Tissipas not even making it to the second week, we actually had him to win his quarter. That is a losing play, but that will be a loser in July. As will the winners be marked off in July? It sounds complicated. It's not. In in layman's terms, to make it as simple as possible, everything for Euro 2020 that was posted in the month of June will be on the June spreadsheet. And everything for Wimbledon, all the futures for Wimbledon that were also posted in June, will be posted on the July spreadsheet because they conclude in July. That's how we're going to do it for these next two months. So two of the key futures that we have riding at the moment as we head towards the end of these two competitions Euro 2020 and the Copa America is England to reach the final and for Brazil to win the Copa America everything is in a far better position than it was obviously when we took it England are heavy, heavy favourites to win the final. We also, to get to final, sorry, we also have them to win the competition separately. And Brazil, they have moved from five to four favourites to four to five favourites. They were at 1.4 to six favourites, but Argentina have looked strong. Usually Argentina scrape their way through major competitions, but in this competition, they have looked massively impressive and have cruised their way through to the semi-final. And Messi looks on absolute fire with goals, free kick goals, assists, and... uh, it does look like the Copa America final will be Brazil and Argentina, and we'll talk about that shortly. As for Euro 2020, I think most people are on the bandwagon of Italy versus England, and a lot of people do believe that it is going to be coming home. Now, I see a lot of people that don't understand what that means, the the origins of it's coming home and how is it coming home and, and all of this. I see these uh, questions being asked. So, Let me try and explain simply what it means. The original uh, It's Coming Home song that we played at the top of the show, that was done in 1996 by a band called The Lightning Seeds with two comedians called Badil and Skinner. I believe, if I'm correct, Frank Skinner wrote the song. And that was for Euro 96 where they said football was coming home. It was a competition hosted by England, as was the 1966 World Cup. And that's why there's a lyric in a song that says 30 years of hurt because the competition was in 1996. That was the first tournament that England had hosted since 1966 and the other tournament they hosted, they won. So that's why they said it was coming home. Also, um, why do we think 
football's coming home when it comes to England because England are the inventors of football or soccer. So that's why it's coming home. It's coming home to the place that it's invented and um, it's coming home because England are the host nation. That was the idea at the time. Since then, the, st- the song has just stuck because it was a popular song. There's always songs for every tournament and they sort of fade away. The one in 1990, World of Motion, is particularly popular, uh, made more popular by the fact that it was a massively successful tournament with England getting to the semi-finals and losing to Germany in the um, in the 1990 World Cup final. But World of Motion is very popular. Uh, one of the players, John Barnes, comes on it and does a little rap. If you're not familiar with that song, we'll stick it at the end of the podcast so you can hear that one, uh, particularly the John Barnes rap. But that was when... Um, Football become very became very very popularized from having a down period in the eighties and seventies. That was largely down to hooliganism in, in UK football, and because of the hooliganism in U- UK football, it became a hooligan sport. It was associated with hooliganism. It was it was associated with violence. It was associated with drink be- uh, with uh, binge drinking. So it isolated people. You would not take your family to a football match. You wouldn't take your child to a football match. It was considered a dangerous place to go. Although. I went to my first game when I was six years old in 1989. It was England versus Italy at Wembley. And I have continued a ridiculous streak of missing very few games that England play at Wembley since 1989. And um, my enthusiasm for it grew even more as a result of the 1990 World Cup and how England done in that World Cup. And I firmly believe, I firmly believe that the 1990 World Cup and what England did in that World Cup saved English football and gave birth to what became the, the the EPL or the Premier League just a couple of a couple of years later. That began in 1992, 1993, with a huge investment from Sky that saw if football um, if football is done right, football still has the, the attention of people at its roots. It's not a hooligan sport. People do still love football. There is still the opportunity there to cash in on it. There is still optimism there. There is still love for the game. And that was ignited by... Euro uh, by World Cup 99 where people fell in love with football again and that's why I believe it's not a fact but I believe that because of the 1990 World Cup that's why we got the Premier League because football was dying in popularity or it was at least isolated to to it was believed to be specifically for the hooligans and hooligans in terms of who attended it and obviously nothing highlighted that more than the, the dark incidents of Heisel and the Hillsborough disaster in 1989 where 96 Liverpool fans lost their lives because um, there was a there was a rush to get into the stadium because the game had already kicked off and um, they rushed through and entered through an entrance where there was already too many people in those stands. So what you used to have was a ticket and it would just say that you were supposed to go in through a particular stand. It wouldn't have a particular seat number. So these people didn't go in through the correct stand. They went in through a stand that was already full. And as there were fences up, this resulted in a number of people being squashed against the fence and losing their lives. It was a dark, dark incident. It added to a lot of the dark stuff in the 80s. It was uh, associated with hooliganism at the time, with the police blaming the Liverpool supporters, etc. And Liverpool had already been involved in an incident which led to the death of um, Juventus fans in Heisel just five years earlier. So it was a bad, bad time and they needed the 1990 World Cup. And I think off the back of that, that's why we ended up getting the Premier League. And ever since then, it's obviously grown in popularity. We have the, the biggest league in the world, the most watched league in the world, the most investment, the best players. And 
I think that was sort of um, sort of exemplified by the fact that we had three teams in the European finals this year. We had uh, an all English final in the Champions League final, and we should have had an all English. Um, final in the Europa League as well but Arsenal didn't get there and Manchester United ended up squandering that against Villarreal but as I say Chelsea are the Champions League winners at the moment should have been Manchester City but the fact is that as we head into the next season that's probably going to be the case again we're probably going to see English teams being very very strong and um, I also expect Bayern Munich to be very very strong in that competition as well but aside from those teams it's difficult to make a case for anybody else. Paris Saint-Germain uh, are going out there and making some very, very strong signings. So I think they could factor in again. Their problem is always that they come from a weak league. So it's always a massive step up when you go and play Champions football. Um, in, in Italy, we have a really, really interesting title race. But the um, reduction in investment from Inter Milan makes it difficult for them to see them not only not winning the Champions League, but makes it difficult for me to see them retaining the Serie A title. And um, obviously, I've spoken at length before about La Liga weakening in terms of quality with um, Real Madrid and Barcelona getting weaker, allowing Atletico Madrid to win the league last season. But in saying that, Spain as a team, using all the league of players, have managed to reach the semi-final of Euro 2020. And they come up against the Italians, who are primarily made up of Serie A players. So this is a very interesting semi-final that we kick off with with Euro 2020 because it's very much a case of La Liga versus Serie A here and seeing who can come out on top. Italy have had a far better tournament so far. Incredibly, Spain have got here with four draws and have really had to grind things out. They've had to grind out a penalty shootout last time out. Uh, prior to that, they had to grind out extra time. They relinquished a 3-1 lead late on and were able to win that game 5-3 in extra time which is a credit to them because we saw France in a situation where they relinquished a 3-1 lead, were unable to do anything in extra time and were knocked out by Switzerland. And then Switzerland went on to force a penalty shootout again against Spain. And it was just incredible to see how much worse the Swiss penalties were than, than what they were against France. It was incredible. This team scored five penalties against France and didn't seem like they knew what they were doing against Spain. And Spain were there for the taking. They missed two as well. They went into the... Um, competition having missed five penalties in a row uh, sorry four penalties in a row and then missed another one in this competition and then missed the first penalty in a shootout so that penalty shootout started with Spain going in missing six penalties in a row and somehow they turned it round to beat the Swiss but as I said they were they were gifted that by the fact that the Swiss penalties were some of the worst penalties that I've ever seen in my life so we do end up with Spain here and we end up with Italy who have looked like one of the strongest teams in the competition but what was very, very off-putting was the way that Italy ended up playing in that game against Belgium. Not the way that they played football, but the way they saw out that last half an hour, flopping down to the floor, crying, killing time, pretending they had injuries. On the goal, the first goal, you can see what a dirty scumbag cheater Immobile is when he's lying down on the ground trying to win a penalty, uh, trying to claim he was fouled for a penalty, and then Italy score and he immediately gets up smiling to celebrate. I mean, this is just scumbaggery at his very far. And we're used to it really with the Italians, we're used to it with the Argentinians, but automatically that makes you root against them. Because before this tournament, 
Um, the Italians were synonymous with doing that kind of stuff, but also being a horrible team to watch in tournaments in the past where they would be massively defensive. defensive. But this team have actually got a lot of love being on a 31 match on beaten streak, uh, having um, 11 clean sheets in a row and uh, just playing a lot, lot better football under Mancini. And they were earning a lot of admirers. A lot of people I don't think were looking deep enough at the fact that they didn't really have any major wins on their record. That was until they beat the number one team in the world in Belgium and they do deserve credit for that but it's difficult to give them a lot of credit when you watch the way that they acted during that game and it automatically makes you go back to hating Italians and Italian football for that kind of thing because they are the masters at it and they were doing it at the same time Spain by no means are, are innocent of doing that but um, this is a very young Spain team that have forced their way to the semi-finals like it or not they are here and they come in as the underdogs here at 21 to 10 to win this game on the money line it is 6 to 4 on the Italian Italians and it is 11 to 5 on the draw. The to qualify market or to reach the final market is pretty tight actually here with the Italians available at a best price of 4 to 5 and the Spaniards available at the best price of 21 to 20 here uh, but more widely available here at even money with Italy more widely available at 3 to 4 you will shop around you will need to shop around for that 4 to 5 line at minus 125 but it is available in places but there's nowhere that doesn't have Italy as the favorite to go through and rightfully so it's difficult for me to look at what Spain have done in this competition as I drop my phone reading my notes. I just need to pick that up. Uh, it's difficult for me to look at Italy here and what they've done in this competition and make a pick on Spain. I think that Spain don't really have any major scalps here um, on their on their route to this to this semi-final whereas Italy they now do that win against Belgium was key here and I think it's key for me to pick them uh, they don't have any significant world-class talent here that has to be said other than their goalkeeper Donnarumma and I think Benucci at centre-back although he's 33 so despite the fact he is still world-class, he's obviously not going to be attracting much transfer value. And there will be centre-backs that people prefer to put into their world 11s and fantasy teams, etc. But Bonucci still has it. He's proved it in his tournament. You can even see the same for Chiellini alongside him. But creatively, they don't really have those world-class players. And the same could be said for Spain. Will Pedri become world-class in the next five years? Probably by the look of things. If the um, the faith of Louis, Louis Enrique and the faith of Koeman at Barcelona is anything to go by, they wouldn't be playing a kid this young unless he had world-class potential. I don't think he's there yet, but he certainly is a player that you can look at in the Spain team. Other than that, you can't make many cases for people. They came into the tournament with... Um, with, with question marks over their defending and there certainly is still question marks over their defending and um, these two these two centre-backs with Laporte uh, not really having too much of a season with Manchester City and Torres at the back he was linked to some big moves and I'm not too sure if anybody's going to want to pay out the 40-50 million for him after watching him in this tournament. So looking at how this might play out I do fancy Italy to find a way to get through to that final. And uh, I do think people will be correct in their prediction of Italy versus England. They have been the two best teams in this tournament. Spain have found a way to grind games out and grind games out. But they haven't beaten anybody of this calibre. And I like Italy off the back of their win against Belgium, the number one ranked in the team. I think that win gives them all the momentum here. They have now won 12 of their last 13 matches. And they face a Spain side that have been held 
held in 90 minutes by both Croatia and Switzerland in the knockout stages. Um, that could be 13 out of 13, but the uh, game against Austria officially counts as a draw. So that's why it says 12 out of 13. Um, they have won just one of their five games here in 90 minutes in this tournament. And I don't think that bodes well for the Spanish. But I do think that they will be able to find the net in this one. So despite the fact that Italy came into this tournament and they were impenetrable until Austria scored a goal, Belgium scored against them and I think Spain will score against them as well. These two teams have combined for 23 goals in Euro 2020 and both teams have scored in three of Spain's last four. Italy have conceded now against Austria and Belgium in their last two games and the Spaniards still have the highest expected goal ratio of any team in the tournament. So despite the fact they, they don't have those wins and they have been held to all those draws that's because they are not converting their expected goals and they will need to take chances to have any chance of winning this game and I think that will be the difference I don't think Spain are going to create as much against a very well organized Italian team I think they'll continue to miss chances that they do create and that will be the downfall because Italy haven't created a lot of chances in their last two games but they've still come away with wins against Austria and Belgium because they are more clinical in front of goal and I think that fact the fact they are more clinical will be enough here for Italy. I like them to qualify here at the 4-5 to five minus 125. I think that's the way to bet it. It's, it's uh, risky taking the money line given that Spain's last two games have gone to extra time and uh, I wouldn't totally write off this one being a draw and going into extra time either but I think at that point I like Italy to win it however it ends up being, however it ends up going from that point, whether it be extra time and Italy managing to win an extra time like they did against Austria or via a penalty shootout where Italy have the better goalkeeper and I think they have the better penalty takers when you're looking at the fact that Spain at one point missed six in a row before coming through against the Swiss I don't think the Italian penalties are going to be that abysmal as the Swisses were and that's why I do think Italy will go through no matter how this plays out in 90 minutes I like Italy extra time I like Italy and in penalties I like Italy so Italy to qualify here at four to five will be my play here for this one up next, we look at that England game. England versus Denmark at Wembley Stadium. England, two wins away from winning Euro 2020 and they have two games at Wembley to do it. That's why they are currently the 11-8 to favourites to win this tournament. Italy 2-1, to Spain 3-1 to and Denmark, who England play, available at 10-1 to here. The final to be England versus Italy is available at 6-4. to with the England-Spain final at 2-1, to one, a Denmark-Italy final at 5-1, to one, and a Denmark-Spain final at 6-1. to one. So, as I said, I like England-Italy, and I do think England have a great chance of winning this tournament with two home games. The only thing that worries me is that they get complacent or they get nervous. We have a lot of young players in here, and I think that would more so come into play as we get to the final, although the semi-final has been a massive stumbling block for England. If you look back to uh, 1990, England haven't been able to get past this stage, losing it in 1990, losing it at Euro 96, and then losing at the last World Cup semi-final as well. So fourth time lucky here, England need to get through, but I do think this is the weakest opponent in in terms of Denmark, I do think Croatia was stronger 
back in uh, 2018, obviously, than Croatia are now. And I think they're stronger if you compare them to this Denmark team. Denmark have won at Wembley recently. They did win here in the Nations League when England were reduced down to 10 men with Harry Maguire being sent off in that game. Denmark were able to take the lead via penalty and they were able to hold on to that lead as England tried to get back into the game with 10 men. Denmark have looked like the, the one of the strongest teams in the tournament as we look at the late stages. They came through after two defeats, losing to Finland in their opener. They had a good half against Belgium, but ended up losing. And then since then, they destroyed Russia, they destroyed Wales, and then they destroyed the Czechs for one half. And then they looked vulnerable in the second half of that game. And England looked like they could capitalise on that run vulnerability. Because if you press this Denmark team high up the pitch, then you can win the game. And that is how England won the game against Ukraine and won it convincingly because Ukraine were a team who like to keep possession in their own half. That was a statistic going into the game where Ukraine had completed the most passes in their own third and had had the most ball possession in their own third of the pitch. And England realised that and capitalised on that and finally put out an England team that did play the high press, which I've been asking for the whole tournament. Now, I felt there were opportunities to do that throughout the tournament. That's why I was critical of Southgate. I thought we could have pressed harder on the on the Croatia team. I thought we could have been more attack-minded against Scotland, but it came late and it especially came after going ultra-defensive against the Germans and suddenly we saw this lineup, and everybody was very pleased with it and for good reason because they ended up beating Ukraine 4-0. But one thing I will say and give Gareth Southgate credit for and the England players credit for as well, we have shown versatility in terms of being able to uh, use all of these formations and what that means is if we get into trouble in any game in this tournament which we haven't done so far because we haven't conceded a single goal we can change formations and match up to what the other team are doing or, or change in terms of how the game is playing out so far it's very interesting because I would say if you look at Manchester United Liverpool and Manchester City in the Premier League this England team have managed to play all three of the styles that those three teams play. I think the games against Croatia and Germany, we saw an England team that took less of the possession, allowed the other team to have more possession, sat in deep in a shape where they made themselves difficult to break down and tried to win both of those games on the counter-attack. And it's successful against Croatia and it was successful against Germany. That replicates the style that is implemented on a on a week-to-week -week basis against stronger teams by Manchester United. When Manchester United come up against a, a Manchester City or a Liverpool, they do often sit in with men behind the ball and look to win that game on the break. So we've shown that we're able to win games on the break like Manchester United do. Whereas we've had less success with it against Scotland and the Czech Republic, we were more dominant with our ball possession, much like Manchester City are on a week-to-week -week basis. And we've shown against the Czechs that with the ball, we're able to control possession of the game and we're able to break the team down. We were not able to break down Scotland. We had chances to do so, but obviously it's understood unanimously that that was England's poorest performance. So if we get into a game where we're dominating the ball, I think that's where I'm least confident. But as I said, we have beaten the Czech Republic. The Czech Republic public came very, very close to pushing Denmark into extra time. That was a very even game that Denmark ended up winning by just being better in the first half. It was a slow start from the Czechs, but I don't think there's much between the Czechs and the Danes and England already beat the Czechs. And uh, I don't think that they were massively pressing for a second goal in the second half of that game. So we've shown that we can play that style. 
But most significantly in the last game with the high press, that was Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool through and through. That was high pressing, winning the ball up the pitch, putting pressure on a team that like to play small, short passes, mostly in their own half. And the reason they do that is because they don't have that threat out wide or over the top in terms of challenging England with incredible pace. Ukrainians don't have that pace. Ukrainians didn't have the fast forwards that were going to cause England those significant problems. That's why they prefer to keep it short. That's why they have that slow build-up. That's why teams play that way because they don't necessarily have the outlet to, to play a longer ball over the top and cause any kind of significant danger. So that's what Ukraine are kind of reduced to. And England took advantage of that and were continuously winning the ball back in positive positions where they could be a threat. I don't necessarily think England should move away from that for this next game. I don't think that Denmark have a whole ton of pace that they can cause England problems with by getting that ball over the top or out wide. I think it's similar to the game that England have just played. Although when you look at that first game against Croatia, they didn't particularly have exhilarating pace. I know they have Perisic, but Perisic is 32. Obviously, he dropped out of the competition. I think Rebic may have been an outlet that England may be concerned about. But obviously, last time, they didn't have any concerns with the Ukraine. And I don't think there's anything to worry about here. I don't think that we should revert back to the 3-4-3, which very much felt like a 5-4-1 at times during that Germany game, especially when Germany had the ball. I don't think we need to go to those lengths. And as for the 4-3-3, which I do want to see us play. I want to see us playing it and continuing to play it with play it with pacey wingers. I want to see Jaden Sancho still in his team. Raheem Sterling, I think, is an automatic choice at this point in time, no matter what my personal opinions are of him. And um, I think his contribution in this tournament has been exaggerated and overblown by, by some. He's still going to end up playing in this game. He's one of Southgate's favourites. And I don't think Marcus Rashford can really complain after the season he's had. Um, he's got a foot injury. He's got a shoulder injury. I don't think we're getting peak Marcus Rashford. I think peak Marcus Rashford is a better player than Raheem Sterling. But I think the Marcus Rashford we have in the team right now in the England squad right this second isn't peak Marcus Rashford. And uh, as a Manchester United supporter, knowing the amount of minutes he was going to play this tournament, I would rather he gave it a miss and went off and had his surgery. So he's 100% for the Manchester United season because the, the thought of a 100% Rashford out wide with a 100% Sancho with Cavani in the middle is going to be scary for teams. And if you look at Manchester United's start to the season, there's a real opportunity for Manchester United to get off to a really, really good start. But I don't want to divulge into the Premier league here by accident i want to stay on point which is this england game i'm not finding any reasons why england don't win this game they're at home they're unbeaten in this competition they haven't conceded a goal there isn't a single denmark player other than Kasper schmeichel that i would really put in the england team i guess i can make a case for hoiberg because i did on my piece over at the sportsgamblingpodcast.com site. If you go over there and have a look, you can see why I've made my case for England winning this competition. And that was me making the case as a Manchester United fan, looking at the other teams in this competition. And the question was very simple. Who would I sign from these other teams remaining in the competition? And this question was asked at the time when Belgium were in there. And yes, you're looking at Kevin De Bruyne. You're probably looking at Tielemans of Leicester and maybe Romelu Lukaku, even though he's a bad fit for Manchester United. And um, Donnarumma, I think, is a better goalkeeper than what we have. But other than that, who are you looking at in this tournament that you want to sign for Manchester United? I'll tell you you're looking at. You're looking at England players. You're looking at a partner for Harry Maguire. You're looking
looking at signing one of these holding midfielders, be it either Declan Rice or, or Calvin Phillips. You're looking at signing Jack Grealish to give you more creativity, especially if you lose Paul Pogba. We've already signed Jadon Sancho. We already have Marcus Rashford. We already have the two best defenders in the England team when you're looking at Maguire and Luke Shaw, who could be a contender for the player of the tournament. So this England team are not only stronger than this Denmark team, they're stronger than every team remaining in the competition. And I don't think this Denmark team have any business beating England in this game. I like England here on the money line to get this done. Um, looking at the statistical data, England are in a brilliant position after the 4-0 win against Ukraine, obviously. Southgate has now got all the big calls right and there'll be confidence in him and there'll be confidence with the players with the right tactical tweets at the right time, tweaks at the right time, as critical as some people have been. And whereas people said, oh, you should have done this, you should have done that. The fact is that they are in the semi-final and they haven't conceded a goal. So even I'm wrong, even I'm wrong at this point, no matter what opinions I've said and, and uh, the fact that I've... Um, put solid reasoning behind it and the fact that last time out England won 4-0 implementing the tactics that I would have played from the start that doesn't matter at this point the fact is is that Gareth Southgate has got them through to the semi-final the fact is that Gareth Southgate have has managed to manage these players minutes perfectly with Maguire coming in late with uh, with Foden starting the tournament with Grealish being an impact player off the bench with the way that Jaden Sancho came in and did his job against the Ukraine, um, the swapping around of Carl Walker and Trippier and, and Luke Shaw coming into the team when he did, everything has worked out. So at this point in time, England are perfectly poised and they are looking fresh to get past this Denmark team who have done incredibly well from their start to get here at this point. But I just cannot see how they beat England here. It would be a disaster at this point if England do not get through to this final. England's stellar defending should be able to keep this Denmark team at bay. And with Kane back in form as well, with Kane getting two goals in the last game, England are rightful favourites here to make it through to Wembley. England have won four of their last five games here at the Euros. Uh, six of their last seven, if you count the two preseason games, haven't conceded a single goal. Um, looking further than that, um, this, this Denmark team have only managed to keep one clean sheet so far in this competition and that came against Wales and uh, they were on the ropes against Belgium, they were on the ropes against the Czech Republic, they conceded a poor goal against Finland, uh, they conceded against the Russians, so if England can score in this game, given the fact they've kept so many clean sheets, that automatically puts them in a solid position. If England score two goals in this game, it's almost a guarantee that England will go through to the final. So I'm backing England to win this game. I'm backing them to score those two goals to win this game in normal time. Give me England on the money line. Uh, best price around of three to four. I quoted seven to ten at the top of the show. That's widely available and you should be able to get that value on England as they go through to host the final at home, hopefully against Italy, because that's who we'll be back in. Although I do think, as an England supporter, Spain will be an easier game. But look, the bottom line is, if Spain get through to that final and they've managed to beat Italy, that's a major scalp. That's a major confidence boost. There is no easy final for England if they get through to it. This, on paper, should be the easiest game. There is no rhyme or reason for Denmark to win this game. So I like England to win it. I even like England to win to nil to keep that clean sheet trend going. Although um, I, I can see England getting a little bit more, not complacent, but a little bit more nervous as we get to this stage of the tournament, especially when you're 
we're looking at that semi-final hurdle. But what I will say is that there isn't a Germany here waiting in front of us. In fact, Germany being knocked out, that psychological hurdle has been jumped now for England as well. So we're looking at a Denmark team that we need to be. I know last time out, three years ago, we were looking at a Croatia team. But this team as a whole, this squad of players, they're not, they're not just the same youngsters that they were three years ago. This is their second tournament here. They've had that semi-final experience already, the vast majority of them. It's different now. And um, I, I just think that they will see it over the line. And I don't think it's going to be particularly difficult either. I have complete confidence in England getting through to the final here. So just to reiterate, England on the money line will be my play here for this one. Moving on to the Copa America, which goes down tonight, the first semi-final between Brazil and Peru. Brazil are the 2-9 favourites to win it. They've already beaten his team in this competition. It's 5-1 on the draw and it's 14-1 on Peru. Yeah, the two teams from Brazil's group that finished below them have reached the semi-final. All the teams from Argentina's group are now out. Argentina play Colombia in the other game, which we'll talk about in a second. But for me, this is just routine stuff for Brazil. They've already beaten his team. This is a dream semi-final for Brazil to get. And I think they'll win it and they'll win it without a concession of a goal. Brazil have won 11 of their last 12 games during the other. And that includes the 4-0 win against Peru just two weeks ago. This Brazil team have now kept nine clean sheets in their last 12. And I cannot see any reason for anything changing here in this game. Uh, I'm going to go for Brazil to win it and take Brazil to keep another clean sheet in this game. If you want to be a little bit more safe here, take Brazil and under four and a half goals. They've already beaten this team 4-0. And I think this will be a game where Peru set up and make themselves a little bit more difficult to beat. But I still think Brazil end up going through without necessarily hammering this team. But I still think there's no way that you can pick against Brazil. It's just a case of how you end up betting this game. This Brazil team have, have not conceded in 41 of the 59 games of the Titi era in all competitions. Of those uh, 41 games, they've kept clean sheets. They've won 37 of them out of four draws. Of the 59 games overall, they've won 44, drawn 11 and lost four. This is strong, strong data here to ride here for this game. I mean, you could say the same thing when you're looking at Italy in their last 13 matches. Um, we talked about them earlier and how much of a strong run they're on. Their aggregate score across their last 13 matches is 36 goals scored and two conceded. So we're looking at strong teams here with strong potentials to reach finals. Brazil is an automatic for me. Um, I would just take them. If you're looking for a, a play here for Brazil, it's not too late to take them to win the overall tournament as strong as Argentina have looked I still think Brazil get it done particularly on their home soil and I think they get it done here with against Peru with another clean sheet to add to that ridiculous total so who will they play will it be Argentina or will it be Colombia Colombia are the team that pushed them hardest in this tournament and they got through a tough game in their quarterfinal beating Uruguay on the penalty shootout but I still think their tournament ends for them tomorrow against the Argentines, who are three to four on the money line. It's nine to four on the draw, and it's nine to two on Colombia. Qualification odds for this mean Argentina are available here at four to nine, with Colombia at thirteen to eight. Which means if you parlay Brazil and Argentina together to both reach the final. You can get four to six minus one fifty on the Argentina Brazil final in this competition. 
Argentina are unbeaten in the last 18 internationals, although they have drawn seven of those, winning 11. Interestingly, Argentina have had a lead at halftime in seven of their last eight games. So they are fast starters and they have been throughout the Copa America, whereas this Colombia team have not won any of their last four games in 90 minutes, despite being here. They have had two draws and two defeats. I don't know whether the stars have aligned here for Messi to win his first trophy as the as an Argentina player. I know he's not going to end up winning the World Cup in Qatar in 2020. So I think this is it. A lot of people want to see this happen unless you're riding a futures pick on Brazil. If you are, you probably want to see Argentina stumble at this hurdle so Brazil don't have to play them because that would give Brazil a very, very easy route with a repeat game against Brazil from their group and the repeat game against Colombia. I just don't think it's going to happen. Colombia missing too many key players. Argentina look too good. They're not the Argentina team that usually scrape their way to finals. They're playing some very, very good football. Everything's connecting here. Perhaps it's the fact that they're not getting pressure put on them from the crowd because there's always an expectation that Argentina are going to look very good. And, and for the vast majority of times at tournaments, they haven't. Where at this tournament, they do actually look good. Do they look good enough to beat Brazil on Brazilian soil? I don't think so because for me, there just isn't enough Argentina players that I would take over Brazilian players and on Brazilian soil, even though there's no crowd there, you have to think they're favourites. But I do think we are setting up for a good game and I do think Argentina do end up getting through. I think Argentina on the money line would be my safe play here for this one. The only real case that I can make for Colombia is that Argentina don't continue to play the way they have done throughout this competition. There is a little bit of needle. There is a little bit of nervousness. There is a little bit of conservatism that creeps in, which they can do uh, when you get to semi-final stages as games get a little bit more cagey and especially against a team against uh, Colombia that have shown that they can set up to defend and make themselves difficult to beat and even nick a goal. Look, this team were 15 minutes away from knocking Brazil out of the competition and Argentina will have an awareness of that. So they will set up defensively as well to make sure that they don't lose this game or needlessly concede. And uh, they'll be looking for their star players and they have plenty of them, namely Lionel, Lionel Messi being the main one to, to guide them through here and take the opportunities that, that they create. But I don't think there'll be many. I don't think there'll be a whole plethora of opportunities here. I wouldn't be surprised to go to see this particular game go under the total of uh, of two and a half goals. So looking at that one separately, under two and a half goals here is available at four to six. There's a reason for that and that's because of the number of goals these two teams have conceded in the competition so far with Argentina only shipping two and the fact that Colombia set up very, very defensively in their game against Uruguay anyway and they're likely to do the same here. So I think cagey, cagey game that's won by a moment of quality and Argentina have that quality with Messi having a wonderful Copa America so far and I think we do end up getting two very, very fun finals at the weekend with England versus Italy and Brazil and Argentina in the Copa America as Messi tries to win this uh, illustrious trophy for Argentina. This this missing piece of silverware from Messi's career, winning something from your country. I'm not sure the, the Copa America quite compares to the 1986 World Cup won by Diego Maradona, but nonetheless, it will take some pressure off Messi's soldiers and it met shoulders and it may just relax and they may end up doing better at the uh, 2022 World Cup in Qatar than most people think. No one's picking them to win it, but perhaps winning the Copa America and especially winning it against Brazil, who should be one of the favourites for that tournament, given the um, the weather conditions and uh, that alone will give them a advantage over the European teams. Plus the fact that 
I think Brazil, more so than Argentina, are comparable to the European teams. Plus, we've seen here, just because you have the personnel on paper doesn't mean you automatically get through. Switzerland have just beaten France. Switzerland have just knocked France out of the competition. They had all the names on the paper. They had all the individuals, but they couldn't play out as a team. They couldn't even play out the last 15 minutes and protect a 3-1 lead. And uh, now we hear all these stories coming out about infighting in the camp and issues with team selection and families fighting with families in the stand. It's just been chaos. I mean, I'm not going to go too far into it because France are an afterthought now. They're out of the competition. So they're, they're irrelevant to everything here. But if in your own time, if you want to go away and Google the entire situation with the, with the French national team and what happened there. Go away and do that because it's very, very interesting. What we're interested in is what is going on now and that is these semi-finals with the finals happening at the weekend, hopefully on the right side. So we can win some more money. Of course, we're riding a number of futures over at lockbetting.com and just to let you know, it's not too late to get involved. There is still plenty of action, individual plays for the semi-finals, individual plays for the finals at the weekend. We have the end of Wimbledon, had the manic Monday today. It's the final Manic Monday ever at Wimbledon. What that means is that all of the last 16 games for the men's side and all of the last 16 games for the women's side all try to get played in a single day. From tomorrow, we'll have women's only on Tuesday, the quarterfinals, men's only quarterfinals on Wednesday, women's semifinals on Thursday and uh, men's semifinals on Friday. That is at least the plan anyway. However, we live in England and anything can happen when you're looking at the weather in England. But my point is, is that you can still get action on this stuff over at lockbetting.com. You can still get action on all of the soccer. You can still get action on the UFC with Conor McGregor returning to the Octagon this weekend. You can still get action on boxing with Wilder and Fury fighting this weekend. And of course, the MLB and the NBA with the finals starting on Tuesday night. Uh, It's going to be happening at 2 a.m. for me. We will have plays on that. We've had a very successful NBA season, particularly with our prop picks. And we look to finish strong here with the Phoenix Suns and uh, Milwaukee Bucks beginning their series on Tuesday night. But that is it for this show. I will be back in a few days to review the finals, which will hopefully be England versus Italy and Brazil versus Argentina. As promised, we're going to leave you with World in Motion.